Well, I like that. Did you? I do. You can do that again, Steve, if you'd like. Not, not right now, but you can do it again some other time. Today we're going to continue in our series from Matthew chapter 13. And uh, it is a sermon that was preached by Jesus that had seven parables. The first four of those parables were preached to the crowd that had assembled at the Sea of Galilee. And, and in a sense, it could be said that those first four parables were a little in the negative vein. For instance, Jesus told about a sower who went out to sow, and he sowed the seed, which was the gospel. But only one out of four actually received the gospel. Only one out of four actually became a believer. The second parable was concerning the wheat and the tares, and in that parable, Jesus sent out the sons of the kingdom to share the word, but Satan also sent out his followers to share his word. The third parable was about the mustard seed, and, and we said in that parable that it represents the growth that wasn't supposed to happen. So as the seed was sown, and people became followers of Christ, and the church was established, rather than growing in humility and grace and love and gentleness and kindness, instead there was the growth of arrogance pride and selfishness that took place. And then we looked at the parable of the leaven, in that the fellowship of God's people was corrupted. Now then after Jesus finished those first four parables, he went back into the house. When he went back into the house, his disciples followed him there, and they asked him if he would explain the parable of the wheat and the tares, which he did. And then while they were in the house, Jesus shared the next three parables. In the next three parables, God deals, or they deal, with God's victory in human history. So that's what the next three parables are about, God's victory in human history. Now, you probably have seen the television program Antiques Road Show. I know that some of you have. It is a program about people who have this stuff that maybe they bought it at a garage sale or, or perhaps they inherited it or maybe at a flea market or something. But they bring it to the appraiser and they tell the appraiser, I paid $15 for this. And he looks at it and says, but now it's worth $50,000. Well, we like that. We like the idea that we might be able to find some treasure. And so that is the parable we are looking at today, the parable of the buried treasure. So there's one verse. Take your Bibles. We'll pick up in Matthew chapter 13, verse number 44. This is the only verse we're looking at. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. There are two basic interpretations to the treasure that is in the field. One is that the treasure represents Jesus. And so a man then is going through a field and he finds the treasure of Jesus or salvation. He sells all that he has to buy that treasure. 
Now, obviously, I'm going to have some problems with that interpretation given the parameters that we have established in our study of this passage of Scripture. First of all, if it is interpreted that way, it means then that man is seeking after God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, sinful man does not seek after God. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us when Adam and Eve sinned, that they hid from God. So it is not that man is seeking after God, but instead that God seeks after man. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So then it is not man who is seeking after God. My dear friend, it is God who is seeking after you. Also, if we interpret this parable that Jesus is the treasure, then it produces a doctrine of works. The idea that somehow I can buy salvation, that I can do something to deserve God's favor, maybe through my morality. And that was the idea, of course, of the publican and the Pharisee. They went into the temple to pray. And uh, when the Pharisee prayed, he says, God... I fast twice a week, I pay tithes on all that I have, and he, he lists this litany of good things that he did by therefore saying that, that maybe I deserve a right relationship with you. Maybe I deserve your favor because of my morality. There are those people who believe that if I am a religious person, then that is how I buy salvation. That if I'm a member of the Baptist church, or if I've been baptized, or I've been confirmed, or, or, or something else, I have done some good works, or I'm religious in some way, then the result is, is that I earn God's favor. Another problem I have with it is that man finds the treasure. Man is going through the field and he finds the treasure of Jesus. But folks, Jesus is not hiding. As a matter of fact, he has sent out his messengers with the good news to say to you how you can know Christ. So, the most common interpretation is that Jesus is the treasure in the field. But a second interpretation is that the treasure is Israel. Now, that is what I believe, and within the context of these parables, I believe that it is fitting you, you know that in these parables, and we've tried to be consistent with our interpretation, that the man in the field is always Christ. In verse number 37, and he answered and said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So we know then that the man in these parables is Jesus because that's what Jesus said. In verse number 38, he says that the field is the world. So Jesus then is in the field, and the field is the world. And I believe the treasure in this parable is not Jesus, but instead is Israel. Israel is God's treasure. The Bible says in Psalm 135, verse number 4, For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own special treasure. Israel for his own special treasure. We are all familiar with the idea that, that uh, Israel is the chosen people of God. We have heard that all our lives, and there is some confusion as to what that means. What does it mean that Israel is the chosen people of God? Does it mean that they have been chosen for special privilege? No. Does it mean that they have been chosen because they are better than other people? No. 
Does it mean that uh, they have been chosen because they are more obedient to God than other people? No. As a matter of fact, throughout their history, it is marked by rebellion and idolatry. As a matter of fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 7, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, speaking of the Hebrews. Verse number 8, Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, the Hebrews. Verse number 9, Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did. Verse number 10, Nor grumble as some of them did. So when the Bible says that they are the chosen people, we learn that they are the chosen people. Does it mean that they have been chosen because they are better? No. Does it mean that they have been chosen because they are more obedient? No. Then what does it mean? It means that they have been chosen for a special purpose. And in fact, Paul writes in Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, The Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons... And the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. Now he summarizes their special purpose there. He says they've been adopted. That God has adopted them into his family. That they have been adopted as the family of God. He mentions the glory. The glory of Israel. Folks, Israel, or God has shown his glory through the Hebrew people. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 23 said, In Israel he shows forth his glory. You cannot really explain Israel apart from God. You cannot explain their existence apart from God. He mentions the covenants, that God made covenants with them. He mentions the law, that the law came through the Israelites. He mentions temple service, that the Jews were given the responsibility for temple service. He mentions the promise of the Messiah, that God promised the Messiah was going to come, that, that a Savior was going to be born and that he would come through the Hebrew people. So when we talk about Israel being the chosen people of God, they are not chosen because they are better. They are not chosen because they are more obedient. They have been chosen for a special purpose. And we understand God better as we understand how God deals with these people. They have been chosen by God and God made a covenant with them. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, folks, God promised to bless these people, and he has done so, and he has promised that he would bless those who bless them. Parenthetically, I'm going to say something here that is not necessarily in keeping with this parable. It is my belief that America has been greatly blessed, in part, because of our relationship and support to Israel. Now, here's concern that I have. There is a dangerous and growing anti-Semitism in Europe. It is not being checked. It is growing. 
The concern that I have is that if it continues, it will also grow in America. And as a matter of fact, we're already hearing some of it. I've heard people say, probably you have heard people say as well, the problem we have in the Middle East is because of Israel. I read a book recently by Ephraim Karish, a professor at King's College in London, and he said that the United States policies have little to do with the conflict we are experiencing as a result of the Middle East and through the Middle East. The problem is that we basically are the only obstacle that stands in the way of Islamic imperialism. I think that it is very important for you to understand what the Bible says about these people. And I believe that if we are going to continue with the blessings of God, we have to continue in our commitment in that arena. Now, God's covenant is conditional. The Bible says in Exodus 19:5, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. So God then has called them as a chosen people, but it is conditional, and the treasure then was buried. Verse number 44 again, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid, and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You see, when Christ arrived on earth, the treasure was hidden, the treasure was lost. You need to understand within the history of Israel, at the time of Christ, the glory was in the past. The glory of that people was in the past. You are familiar with the story of the Queen of Sheba who wanted to come and see the wisdom and and experience the wisdom of Solomon and see the blessings of Israel. She was amazed at what she saw back then. And in 1 Kings 10, 7, it says, I did not believe the reports until I came, and my eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Now, that is the glory in the past. So when Jesus came to earth, The glory of Israel was in the past. It was an obscure little nation. It had been that for more than 400 years. At that time, there was no voice of God coming from Israel. When Jesus came, it was not that God was speaking to his people anymore. It was not that that they were speaking for God anymore. There was no voice of God at that time. There were no prophets as there had been in the past. In the past, the prophets of God had stood and boldly proclaimed, Thus says the Lord, no more. Not at this time. There was no glory. In fact, they were subjects to the Roman Empire at that time. The leaders were corrupt and the people were miserable. So that's the state of Israel when Jesus came. Their glory was in the past. But Jesus uncovered the treasure. The treasure had been buried. The treasure had been hidden. And Jesus uncovered the treasure. Ray Stedman wrote, He revealed for a brief flash of time the glory that was Israel. In the short course of the three and a half years of our Lord's ministry, He uncovered the treasure of Israel.
So when Jesus came, the glory was in the past. He uncovered the treasure of Israel for a while. But you know the thing that is amazing? They rejected him. Jesus came to uncover the treasure, but they rejected him. The Bible says in John 1, 11, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. In John 6, 66, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So when Jesus came to uncover the treasure, he was rejected. When he was rejected, he left Jerusalem. There are other accounts in the Bible where Jesus does not stay where he is not wanted. He does not stay when he is not welcomed. And so when they rejected him, if you study about Jesus' ministry, then you would discover that he went to the region of Galilee. He withdrew from Jerusalem. Now, eventually he returned to Jerusalem. But when he returned to Jerusalem, his message was very different now. His message was a message of condemnation and judgment. You can read Matthew chapter 23, the message that he proclaimed when he returned. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on that last week of his life, you know we refer to it as the triumphal entry. And uh, we depict that oftentimes in, at Easter time and so forth, the triumphal entry of Jesus. I'm not sure that's the way that Jesus would have seen it. In fact, he lamented the way that they had responded to him because, you see, it was not the leaders of Jerusalem who received him. It was the common folks. And so Jesus lamented, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. So when Jesus came back, he preached a message of judgment to them. And he said, how many times I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. You would not allow it. And then you know that he cleansed the temple. Because of the corruption that was there, he cleansed the temple. Interesting verse of Scripture, Matthew 21, 43. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be given to a nation producing the fruit of it. Now, what did I say a while ago about the special, that they were the chosen people of God? What were they chosen for? They're to share the good news. Uh, they, they had a special purpose. They were to be God's ambassadors. They were to be God's proclaimers. What does Jesus say here? It's going to be taken away from you and given to someone else. To whom was it given? The church. The church. It is the church that proclaims the message of salvation now. It is the church that proclaims the good news. So Jesus says, all right, then I'll take the message from you, and the church will proclaim it, and they crucified him. The treasure that was hidden, I believe, to have been Israel. Jesus uncovered it. They rejected him, and the treasure was hidden again. That's not the end of the story, however, concerning uh, Israel. For more than 400 years, the Jews were dispersed. The glory was gone. That's what happened prior to the coming of Jesus. The glory was all in the past. We read about the glory days and Solomon and the temples. And we, we read about the prophets. We read about that. All of it was in the past. 
Jesus reestablished their lost place in history through his sacrifice for a little while. And so the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, disenfranchised himself, gave all that he had, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus died on the cross to redeem man and to restore Israel as a model. And they have a future. Look at verse number 44 again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid, and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In other words, God is not finished with Israel yet, but what does that mean to you and what does that mean to me? Israel is God's treasure. I believe that that is what the Bible teaches. I believe that Israel is the treasure of God. Jesus died to buy the entire field. Not just the treasure, he bought the field. He bought it all. Jews and Gentiles. And so the Bible says then in Romans chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, I say then they did not stumble, speaking about the Jews, I say then they did not stumble as to fall did they, may it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? In other words, Israel has not been cast aside. I know that there are those who teach that, but Israel has not been cast aside, not replaced by the church. As a matter of fact, what would it take for God to abandon Israel? What would it take? Well, you can read it in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 35 and 36. Let me read this. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. What would it take? God says, well, now, if the sun stops shining, if the moon and the stars stop giving their light, if the waves stop roaring, then they would no longer be a nation. That's what it would take. That's the reason Paul says, by their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles. As I read this passage of Scripture and this parable, I believe that Israel was the treasure that was hidden. Jesus came... And uncovered it for a while. When they rejected him, he hid it again, but he died on the cross to buy the field. He purchased the salvation of the Jew and the Gentile when he died on the cross. Folks, that includes you. That includes me. When Jesus died on the cross, he did not just die for some chosen, selected person. He bought the field and everything that's in it.
That includes the Jew. That includes the Gentile. That includes you. When I read this story, I see that the Jews rejected the one who had come to redeem them as a people in general. But the question for you today is, what will you do with Jesus? Not what will everyone else do, but what will you do with Jesus? He bought the field. He paid for your salvation. He offers it to you. But will you receive it? In just a moment, we're going to pray. We're going to extend an invitation. And I encourage you, if you have never given your heart, your life to Christ, that you do so today. The price is paid. He has provided everything. Will you receive his gift of salvation? Our gracious Father and God, we come to you at this time of invitation asking, Lord, that you speak to the hearts. We thank you so much that you gave your life to purchase our redemption. No one is excluded. Father, you bought the field and offer to us your grace. Father, I pray today that there will be those who will receive you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In just a moment, the choir is going to sing. The staff will be here at the front. If you're willing to give your life to Christ, I'll ask that you come. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. You come. Stand with me, please, as we sing together. You come. I'll greet you as you do.